Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Dallas Debt Discussion for Monday night, the 14th day of September already of the year 2015. It's uh, hard to believe we're right in the middle of September already. Uh, blink your eyes twice and it will be Halloween. Uh, blink them twice more and you will be enjoying Turkey Day and blink them twice more and you'll be ready to celebrate the new year. It just seems to go that quick. But the legal world goes on Things happen, and there's some things that are happening, which I will talk about in a little bit. But uh, the first thing I need to do is tell everybody that what you hear on this call is not legal advice. First of all, I'm not an attorney. Uh, I would never want to be an attorney. Uh, I've had people say, oh, well, you're an attorney, aren't you? And it's, that, to me, that's almost like getting cussed at. But, no, uh, uh, whoever has come on the line in Oregon, you're making noise, and I'm going to mute you. Uh, but what you hear on this call is not legal advice. It is discussion of legal issues. We have uh, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of what we talk about is very serious because it's uh, uh, trying to educate people and help people with situations that they find themselves in. And... Uh, the bottom line is, if you want legal advice, you need to go find an attorney because they are the ones that are uh, authorized by law to dispense legal advice, whatever that is. I don't know what it is, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't dispense it if I wanted to. But uh, bottom line is, uh, if you want that, go somewhere else and look for it. You're not going to find it here. We are here to educate people. We are here to help people come back to a community and learn to help each other. We do this free, and the only thing that we ask in return for the work that we do is that when you have the opportunity to help other people, that you do so, that you pay it forward, whether it be through knowledge or maybe a little bit of your time or something like that and helping somebody else that maybe is farther down the learning curve than you happen to be at the time. So this is all about people helping people, and if we will all learn to help each other, we will be far better off for it because there is not strength in being individuals. There's strength in being a community. So please keep that in mind in what you're doing. Uh, the way TalkShoe works is very simple. When you come on this call, you are unmuted. That's why we had some noise a little bit ago. To mute yourself, all you have to do is hit star six on the keypad in your phone, and it'll. if you listen to it, it'll say, you are muted. And if you hit star six again, it'll say, you are unmuted. 
it's a toggling feature. It's very simple. It goes both ways. But uh, I ask that everybody mute themselves so that we can have a quiet recording because all these calls are archived. They are all recorded so that people can listen to them, uh, people that don't have the opportunity to uh, listen to us live. They, uh, there's a lot of people listen to us uh, on downloads on iPods and everything else, and they learn from this. So please be considerate of the other people that are listening and keep yourself muted. If you don't, I will do it for you. I prefer that that's not the case. When we get done with good news, which we'll do in just a moment, then all you have to do to put yourself in the queue to ask a question or make a comment is to hit star 8 after you have yourself muted using star 6, please. So uh, we will take questions and, and comments in just a little bit, but we always start out with good news to find out what's going on, what kind of successes people are having in various ways. And for good news, you do not have to raise your hand and hit star 8. All you have to do is uh, just speak up and tell us about your good news. So the floor is open. Anybody that's got good news, go ahead and speak up. Goodness, you can tell it's still the end of summer and everybody's still recovering from late summer activities, getting the kids back in school, so on and so forth. Good news ebbs and flows, as we've said many, many, many times. Um, I actually have some good news in a way that there is some progress on the front regarding Midland Credit Management and the TCPA lawsuits against them. And that progress is that I have received word, although it is not official, nothing has been filed with the court as of today, that there is a settlement in the class action suits between Midland and the classes. Now, I'm not part of the class, and I know others that are not part of the class that are in the litigation in the MDL, just like I am. But what this means is that there is finally some movement after four years four years since this MDL started. Now exactly where we go from here, as far as how things are going to proceed, I don't know. I actually contacted the court today and talked to judges chambers, and they could not fill me in. They had no knowledge. Uh, they had been not notified of a settlement or anything yet, which is not a requirement. Nothing was settled, but uh, the information about settlement did come through an attorney that is... Uh, involved with the MDL, so uh, somebody that uh, evidently is part of the committee. So that's very interesting news for me. It shows that finally something is happening. Now exactly how things go forward from there, I don't know, but uh, hopefully I'll be finding out a lot more <clears throat> about that. In the meantime, uh, it's just business as usual for me as far as the Midland situation is concerned. So, uh, you know, if uh, you are somebody that has TCPA claims against Midland, you may want to consider filing a claim pretty soon. I'll be able to keep people informed, but uh, if you would not want to be included in the class, which I'm sure anybody that's on our calls would not want to be included in the class, uh, 
when I get information as far as how to opt out of the class, so on and so forth, I will pass that information out to people. So anybody that has anything TCPA related uh, with Midland, uh, keep your ears open for updates on a weekly basis as to what's going on because if you have a claim and you don't bring that claim forward, you could end up uh, at the right time and opt out of the uh, uh, class action against them. You might end up getting tangled up in that, and as is usually the case in class actions, uh, the plaintiffs in there don't get much out of things. So please keep that in mind. But that is good news uh, all the way around. Now, oh, again, a very enlightening and wonderful week, hasn't it? And I'm sorry to be late. I didn't realize until just a minute ago the battery's going down on my clock. And then I looked at the computer, and I'm like, holy cow, I'm 10 minutes late. <laughs> oh, well, better late than never, Terry. That's all right. I, I don't have the wet noodles out. You're safe tonight. Yeah, I'm switching the battery out right now. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, is there anybody else that has any good news? Okay. Nobody's speaking up. Uh, you know, I, I know, Terry, you were doing some things. I don't know whether you wanted to speak in terms of uh, good news on anything that you were doing or not. Well, I'm about to send a letter of expose, as it were, because uh, to the CFPB, because I have discovered through exhaustive research while researching stuff for both Dave's situation and mine, exactly how it is and exactly how they're doing it that they continue to get away with it, and the evidence is never there to prove it in regard to credit reporting agencies and furnishers and disputes. So I am going to, um, Jesse hasn't called me yet. I do want to talk to him about that. I think the combination of that, Dave, the furnisher rule, and the necessary changes that we need to make to our dispute strategies would be a better fit for an evening uh, short webinar series than to try to do it in an afternoon webinar. Yeah, well, there's so. uh, you know, there's going to be more information to to come out on this stuff. You know, as as you guys know, uh, those of us that are moderators are kind of always got her fingers in something digging and looking and Terry has been doing an extreme amount of that recently and uh, it's uh, it's amazing what you can stumble onto when you get out there and do an awful lot of nose poking and reading and digging in, in places that most people don't dig and you know the funny thing is that when you make these big discoveries like this one it ends up being something so incredibly simple and obvious and right there in your face the whole time. And that is the beauty of it. That's why they get away with it. It doesn't occur to anybody that they would even think of doing something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, 
you know, in in most of the stuff that you found has been a function of googling stuff, right? Uh, yes, and you know, changing the parameters when I'm doing you know searches. Um, I've got a general uh, a general subject matter that I'm researching. And then something that Dave is very good at, switching around the words and the phrases in your in your search that uh, would directly correlate to the general subject matter of what you're looking for. And then piece by piece, you start finding these things. And I don't stop right then and read it carefully. What I do is I pick up that nugget and I open it in a PDF or Word file, however, or if it's a, a link to a website, I keep a notepad going while I'm doing my searches. And I keep those documents open until I think, okay, now I need to go through all this, read all this, and because it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. I love puzzles. So you go through and you carefully read each thing, and you highlight and you make notes and at the same time, and then you sit back and you look at your notes and you're like, holy cow, it's fitting together. I see it now. Yeah. That's what it takes. Yeah. Well, you know, I've I've done uh, I did a webinar on Google on using Google to find stuff and for the legal work and uh, I know many people have heard me uh, mention a number of times. Well, did you Google that to find out something when somebody's dealing with a situation? And, uh, you know, a lot of times people say, well, no. And I keep saying Google is a fabulous way to learn things about just about anything. And uh, I'm going to give you just a, a real quick example of how useful it can be, something completely divorced from legal work that uh, I experienced this weekend. I recently had one of my uh, flat panel monitors my LCD monitors go puts on me. And uh, I did go and buy a new one. Of course, you know, it was nice that the debt collectors paid for that, of course. Uh, I, I got a good deal on a 24-inch monitor. I actually upgraded from 22 on that particular one. I used three of them. But I got curious, and I thought, hmm, LCD monitor repair. I Googled it Saturday morning. And within two hours, I knew exactly how to repair the monitor that went bad. And I knew exactly where to find the parts for that monitor. And I ordered those parts. And now I have a second monitor that died about two years ago, which is an LG also. All of mine are LG except the one I use for my trading, which is actually a Hitachi TV. A 31 inch that I use for a monitor but I found how to fix that I found the parts for it and instead of having to spend uh, $135 for a new monitor to replace these actually what's going to end up happening is I'm going to have these as spares so there is a company here in town that does flat panel 
monitor repair, their minimum charge is $75, which, you know, for a lot of people is better than buying a new monitor for $130, $150, $200, whatever. But I bought the board that needs to go in there. Whoever's making that noise? Uh, that's Texas, and I just muted you. Um, the board that goes in the monitor, because the screen was just fine, it's just something in the electronics, uh, for the one that I ordered was 20 bucks, and it was $10 shipping, because it comes from China. Of course, we know all the electronics come from China. And the other one, the board for the other one is $20, and the shipping on that particular one is $3, and it comes from China. Don't ask me why the differential, one, one ships cheaper than the other one. Point being that I learned something that I had no knowledge of in two hours, simply because I Googled something, and I found all the information I needed, but in the process of doing that, I also found a whole series of YouTube videos on computers, repairing monitors, removing viruses, and uh, building computers and everything else. I don't even know all what they have. It's from Asher College. These are all college lectures on this material that are available on the web all because I used Google and I was searching just on, basically on a LARP to see what I could find as far as information to uh, how to repair a monitor. And like I said, within two hours I found not only some information, but I found all the information I needed and I had already watched videos where I knew exactly how to repair it, where to get the parts and everything else, and that they're incredibly cheap. So, And the, I, and the, and the other thing is, good advice, uh, don't think, don't make the mistake of thinking when you're doing research on these things, you know, whether it's a monitor or it's this legal arena that we're playing in, um, that you're going to find the best of the golden nuggets on the first, second, or even third page of the Google search. Trust me, I have found some very valuable stuff by being uh, determined and keep going. You know, page five, page six, page seven. Uh-huh. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's old news. As a matter of fact, a piece of fairly new news that I found recently, which is in, of <laughs> it's priceless. Okay, it's fairly new. It's something from this year, but there's a reason that it's buried all the way back on page five or six, industry doesn't want it up front. Right. Oh. Yeah, you gotta, you got to be persistent, and like Terry says, go past the first, second, or third page. I've, I found all sorts of stuff in what I was looking for this weekend. I think on, on some of the searches and some of the uh, uh, information I found that was very helpful, I was probably about 12 to 15 pages back in a Google search. And, uh, you, you know, sometimes you're not going to find anything. You're going to run out of things right away. But my, my whole point in bringing this up was, you know, look at all the discoveries that Terry has been talking about, information she's found over the last several weeks. And this just comes from something that just about every one of you has at home. It's your computer, and it's Google. Play with the words. Go watch the webinar I did. 
uh, on that, uh, suggestions on how to do things and everything. It's just not that difficult, and you would be absolutely amazed at what you can find out there. So if I can learn how to fix a computer monitor, and uh, I've been building my own computers for years, but, you know, monitor, I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about those. Well, now I realize how simple it is. And you just replace the whole component, and it's take and, and it showed me how to take it take them apart and everything. So and and if I want to do the boards, if I wanted to actually do the repairs, I learned how I could do that because most of the time on your flat screen monitors, what goes bad is the capacitors, and you can buy those for uh, all the capacitors for one of these boards for about two to three dollars if you know a little bit about electricity and can uh, solder them in. But uh, ah, you, it is you can save a lot of money on things. When I found that furniture rule, I mean, that really explained a lot. But then I realized that's not the whole puzzle. There's something else that is even bigger that ties it all together. And so I kept going, and I found it. Yep, one thing leads to another. Yep. It's it's kind of like, you know, follow the yellow brick road type of situation. It's follow the money every single time. Yeah. yeah. That's the essence of it. When you're dealing in the legal arena and everything that we do, always, always follow the money. And that will lead you in a direction of stuff that uh, can help you in what you're doing. So. Right. Always ask yourself, okay, they must be doing this or that, but what would it, how would it benefit them to do that? How are they benefiting from not complying with the law in this respect or that respect? How does it benefit the credit reporting agencies not to investigate? How does it benefit the furnishers not to investigate? What exactly is it that's behind all that that makes it worse the risk. It's always about the money. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you, Terry. I uh, I just wanted to bring that up. I know it's a little uh, off subject, but it is. It actually is on subject because it's something that everybody should be using and actually should be using more. And uh, uh, it's it's a part and parcel why those of us like Jeff, John, uh, myself, Jesse. You know, we all use Google and do the searching very extensively. That's how we get an awful lot of the information that we've got that you guys hear us talk about. You guys can do the same thing. You know, we didn't magically know how to do it in the beginning. We learned. So it's just jump in there and do it. Not by a long shot. Took me some some learning, and I'm not the greatest at you know changing up the wording and the phrases. I I had to. Uh, really train myself to keep it simple. Yeah. All right, one more time. Anybody got any good news? If you do, speak up. All right. Well, evidently we don't have any, so we'll go to Q&A for tonight. Here again, you know, it's late, late summer, very early fall, and, uh, you know, people are still unwinding from the, the summertime. We realize that. So if anybody has questions or comments tonight, star eight is how you put yourself in the queue. We'll entertain your questions and hopefully try and answer them for you. 
and uh, we'll go from there. Now, you know, we we have limited participation on the calls, and uh, during this period of time, which is <laughs> an every year occurrence, and we've been, you know, I'm in my seventh year doing this, so I know all too well. And we don't have uh, a bunch of people popping up and uh, asking questions tonight, which in a way is too bad because I know there's got to be somebody out here listening that has questions, you know, uh, and especially anybody that's new, and we always have new people coming and going. Uh, it's it's very important that the new people don't hesitate to ask their questions. You know, we may not have an answer for your question, but if we don't have an answer for it, we may be able to point you in a direction where you can find the information or the help that you need, and that's the whole point of what we do. It's not that uh, we think we're uh, all knowledgeable and, and so smart that you know we can take on anything and uh, be able to uh, give you suggestions on how to resolve it. We never give advice. We uh, What we do is talk uh, about suggestions and, and what we do if we were in your shoes or your position. But uh, I, I encourage the new people to ask because that's how you learn. You you listen a lot, but also when you have questions, you, maybe you're not sure about something, don't be afraid to speak up and ask your questions. It's, it's very important that you get the correct answers for them if you have questions. And that's the other part of it. If we don't know the answer to something, we'll tell you we don't know it. I'm I'm the first one up there to uh, say, you know, hey, I don't know the answer to this. You might want to go look here or there, see it. So anyway, we have a couple people that popped up here. So let's go to guest 13. I had to mute you and unmute you, and you are unmuted. Go ahead. Hi, Dave. Good evening. How are you tonight? I'm pretty good. I uh, got a sniff of fresh air. I went out late this afternoon, got a quick bite to eat, and went to the post office to mail some more <laughs> citations out to the process server. And, well, that's good. Uh, Is it cooler out there now? Uh, it's it's an absolutely gorgeous evening. It's about 81 degrees. It, there's a nice breeze blowing. It, it's The humidity is low. It's just uh, my kind of weather. In fact, if I didn't have to run the board, I can tell you I would be sitting out on my balcony right now. That ditto right. here. It's beautiful. Yep. I don't have any questions, and you guys can just go now. That's good. Hope you walk. <laughs> I can go on my balcony now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, listen, could, could you speak um, uh, generically to a hypothetical if you have um, – if you've um, – hired an attorney to help you out with your case and then you decide to move on to another one, what the implications of that might be um, with respect to settlement? To If you decide to move on to another attorney? Yes. Really, the implications are, are going to be centered around what kind of contract you had with the attorney that you started with. You know, and, if, and the other part she didn't say is with the sanction of the first attorney. Well, <clears throat> here again, it it goes to what kind of contracts and agreements were in place with whoever you retained in the beginning. And, contingency. Um, yeah, well, it, contingency is one word. 
and you know I'm somewhat familiar with your situation but you know we need to speak in terms of you know trying to help every everybody that's listening understand of course because that's our right. purpose here um, sure you got a contingency contract well that's that's one word to describe the contract but that doesn't describe necessarily all the fine language in there about this aspect or that aspect or what happens if this changes or so on and so forth because it really um, couldn't describe every contingency that might arise yeah um this this is is something that everybody has to be careful of when they retain an attorney you know we we suggest that for the most part uh people uh should learn to handle their matters themselves but obviously there are times when uh it's best for you to hire an attorney to represent you I mean, there's certain situations where that can either be a choice or it's pretty much, uh, you know, it's not a choice. It's a must, depending on what's going on, what you're dealing with. But any time that you deal with an attorney, you're going to have a contractual relationship. And um, you, you want to understand as much as possible the, any contract that that attorney uh, wants to have you sign. I don't care who the attorney is. I don't care how well-known they may be, how famous they may be, how unfamous they may be. Um, and, and I think, Janda, you can testify to the, the fact that it, it is absolutely crucial that you look very thoroughly through any contract they want you to sign for them to represent you and for you to fully understand every aspect of it. And if you don't understand it, ask questions, right? Correct. Okay. Um, but when when you get into a situation where, you know, let's say you retain an attorney, and then for some reason or other there, the situation arises where you decide you want to change uh, attorneys, uh, you have to really go back and look at the uh, contract that you had with the initial attorney to find out what it says. And if you're, uh, and, and you you got to think in terms of, you got to be real careful here and think in terms of one thing. When you have an attorney on the other side and they're drafting a contract for you contracting with them, do you think maybe that they might slant it to their benefit in some way? Right. I mean, it, sometimes things aren't maybe quite as obvious as we might like them, or maybe that we even, you know, think about. You know, we we have a tendency to take people for face value that somebody's going to uh, be honest and fair in their dealings with us and that they're not going to screw us. But unfortunately, okay. sometimes that does occur. So that's one of the reasons why you really have to watch the language in these things. But, but ultimately, if you find yourself in a situation where you're going to change, and it doesn't matter why, you, you have got to go back 
and look at the language of the contract that you are uh, uh, obligated to to uh, determine what kind of ramifications you may have, uh, potential ramifications you may have, as far as uh, the relationship goes with that attorney. Uh, you know, because sometimes there can be some hidden things, and sometimes some of these hidden things can be somewhat unpleasant, especially if we gave this contract a, a cursory look and, you know, didn't pay a lot of attention to some of the fine details because, you know, well, hey, you know, hey, it's a lawyer, I'm hiring them, they're going to do a good job for me, so on and so forth. Well, so we hope, so we think, but right. sometimes that's not necessarily the case that we end up with. Right. Now, let's just say you're, uh, you're going to move from one, <clears throat> from one firm to another, and um, I don't know, let's just say, for, for example, if the attorney that you're working with, the fact he's going to relocate, you want to follow him. Rather than yeah, change. it's it, Janda, It's a little hard to hear you. It's kind of like it, there's echoing and it's a little muffled. Uh, can you get better? Closer to the phone. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Yeah. For example, if um, if you're with one firm, one attorney, and you like your attorney, and you decide when he relocates that you're going to follow, and you're given a choice, do you want to stay with the attorney that's working with you now, or do you want to stay with the firm? Um, does that have any bearing on? What the liability might be to the first attorney if you choose to go with the if you choose to go with a different firm. Now, what do you mean by liability to the first attorney? Um, financial uh, liability. Well, with the, here, with respect to the fulfillment of the contingency agreement. Yeah. Well, here again, you you got to look at the agreement that you signed. What what is is there anything in there? that specifically addresses that. Right. And and if there is, then obviously the the answer can be pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. But if there isn't something that specifically uh, addresses that issue, then you're kind of in a... Uh, okay, uh, let's discuss this situation that, that's come up where maybe there's a problem that's come up and uh, maybe there's a difference of opinion and you uh, you have to look at the facts of the situation and see if maybe you can reach a compromise on something or, uh, you know, you, you have to you have to take into consideration all the factors surrounding the situation. But first of all, you have to look at a, any written enforceable contract that you may be involved in. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. that's that without question has to be where you start. If, because if the situation you've got is addressed by a written agreement, well, that's enforceable. I mean, it's it's something that can be taken to the court and shown to the judge and say, okay, Your Honor, uh, our written agreement, which was signed on such and such a date, it's got both of our signatures on it, says exactly this about this situation. Mm-hmm. But if there, if there isn't anything that specifically addresses a situation, then you kind of you, you can see if you can work out an agreement between the parties. Otherwise, you know, if there is a dispute, 
uh, and maybe one side is trying to take advantage of the other, uh, try and weasel out of something, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, you may end up in a situation where you may end up having litigation over that. I mean, you may, uh, you may choose to litigate over that particular issue because mm -hmm. you can't seem to reach an agreement with that other party. And uh, always remember, if you've got a lawyer on the other side from you, uh, in many cases, and in fact, I'm going to say the majority of the cases, uh, you're going to have somebody that's very possibly going to try and stick it to you. Right. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. Not all mm -hmm. lawyers are like that. We know there are some that are very good, very ethical, but we also have learned that there are some that are very much on the other side of the street. In fact, a lot of them that right. we deal with that surround uh, uh, the debt collection industry are that way. And just for everybody's benefit, that can be on both sides of the fence, not just the creditor uh, attorneys, but even some of the consumer attorneys can turn around and stick you and stab right. you in the back. So, uh, but the the starting place has always got to be any kind of written agreement, and uh, looking at, so to speak, you know, like we talk about the plain language of the the statute, when, and stuff that we deal with, you have to look at the plain language of any contract you've got and see whether that does specifically address uh, the situation that you have, and and uh, uh, see if there's any other peripheral agreements that you might be aware of that uh, would have an effect on that. And then, of course, investigate that, which I know is the case for your situation. Mm -hmm. so, and when you, talk, uh, when you speak of um, peripheral agreements, are you speaking perhaps to verbals? Are you talking about what? things in writing? Verbal agreements or things in writing? No, no, I'm, I'm talking about possible uh, uh, written agreements because remember mm -hmm. a verbal agreement can always be argued you know it can be a uh, well you said this no I didn't you know right. Uh, right. That, that's always open to uh, argument whereas mm -hmm. a written document that's signed on such on a certain day um, those have a tendency to hold up pretty good in a dispute if you end up in legal land over that situation mm-hmm I mean, that's the whole purpose of having written documents. And, and that's, that's something, you know, you, you mentioned that, and I'll make that point to people. If you're going to uh, retain an attorney, if for some reason or other that attorney doesn't uh, come up with a, a written agreement before they start representing you and handling things, uh, my suggestion to you is make sure you get one. Keep right. it business. Keep it business. Right. Keep it on paper. Have it very straightforward. And, um, you know, if somebody wants to put a bunch of fine print in something, it's like, well, you know, I don't really like fine print because I don't carry a magnifying glass with me all the time. How about we just keep it in uh, large font and real simple? I'm mm -hmm. going to pay you. You're going to do this. And if you do that, you're making money, getting paid for your services, and I'm getting the benefit that I deserve for paying you. But if you don't do it, then I have a means to come after you because it was defined as to exactly what you were supposed to do uh, serve, uh, as a service to me for the money I paid you. Mm -hmm. the, the old KISS principle just steps right in the way. And uh, as many of you know, I've talked about I've lived 
by the KISS principle for many, many, many years, and it's it's worked pretty well the majority of the time. Okay. Now I have just one other question. Before um, you start, before you start, Dave, kill the messenger in the chat. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Thank Janet. You. Okay, the other question I have is about um, the uh, uh, listing defendant uh, as a plaintiff, for example, like in the portfolio case that I'm dealing with. Um, one, there's one attorney's name on the complaint, and there are six names on the summary judgment, motion for summary judgment. <clears throat> so can I list all six as defendants, or do I have to list only the one on the complaint? Well, when you say there's six names on the summary judgment, mm-hmm. um, is there? It's just a the law firm, and then with Joe Blow, Tom Smith, Dick Jones, so on and so forth. But Dick Jones is the only actually, one that signs it. Yeah, I think there's. I think it's actually in-house counsel. It, where your your voice is really distorted. When you're, you're talking, it's, it's harder to hear you. I don't know whether you're getting away from your phone or moving around or something. Sometimes. How's that? Yeah, that's better right now. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You're clear now. But uh, okay, your great. voice gets distor- was getting distorted, and it was hard to understand what you were saying. Okay. Yeah, what did you say now? I was talking about the multiple names yeah, on there, but how many see, signatures? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't have six lawyers sign a summary judgment motion. You're only okay. going to have one signature on a on a document. Okay. But what what is the case? They're, they they list yeah, uh, at, I, at the I, end I of it they list yeah, a law firm. Um I really don't think there's a law firm listed. Let me see if I can find that document. I don't think on the on the motion for summary judgment I don't think there's an attorney listed. I mean, a law firm listed. It's just um, six names, six attorneys. So it's just, uh, it's literally, you just have um, six names of attorneys down there. Right. And then one of them signed it. I'd have to look at it to see. Well, I've never seen a summary judgment with multiple signatures on it. They usually just type an S and then the name. Right, that's an electronic you're signature. Asking there's, you're asking if there's an S in front of each name. Yeah, yeah. The, S, so. the, the slash S slash, that's right. an electronic signature. Right, and I don't, legal, I don't think so. I don't yeah, think there yeah, is. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to see that, but uh, it's, um, actually, uh, I think you go ahead and, and sue them all. The only thing is you got to remember... Or, if you start taking on a lot of defendants, are are you biting off more than you can chew? Although, if they're all in the same lawyers at the same firm, in dealing with them in a lawsuit, you're you're going to be uh, uh, in a situation where you uh, probably have them all represented by one attorney. Now, mm-hmm. you got you have to you have to remember something. Let, I'm playing uh, out there in left field on this, but simply because it's a possibility, mm-hmm. that being the fact that let's say you sued all six lawyers, 
Okay. okay. What if each one of them decided they were going to defend themselves, which a lawyer can do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, then you you actually are in a situation where everything that you file on the court, you're going to have to provide a, a copy of every file document and everything to each one of them. You're going to have to individually serve each one, very possibly, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. You got to be careful what you're doing. I I know you. I'm I'm saying this because I'm aware of the situation that you're dealing with, the circumstances. Right. Right. You were you were talking about possibly having to have an attorney involved in it eventually. Um, if, if if by using this strategy it doesn't result in um, in a dismissal in the state case and. Um, well, if it doesn't result in a dismissal in the state case, then yes, I will re- will require an attorney. Um, the, you, you realize, you know, I know you realize that we're filing a federal lawsuit to. to yeah, yeah, to, your voice is your voice is getting kind of screwy yeah. again. It's getting muffled. How's that? Yeah, that's better. Yeah, we're we're just doing the federal complaint. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. As, as a strategy, however, yeah. I have learned in my travels that when you put your foot when you put your foot in the first step of filing a lawsuit, you need to be prepared to go all the way. That's correct. No matter what right. you anticipate, what no matter what you expect, you know you can expect the best, but you have to prepare for, um, you know, being able for to a go battle. The, you have to prepare the for the battle. battle. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And You're even, even when you even when you come to a place of resolution and something that you. You've um, you have battle scars from. Sometimes there's still a fight beyond that. So I got yep. it. But you know, it's any time you start thinking about suing uh, a number of defendants, you got to be careful. Okay. You, because there's potential right. uh, so that you could run into stuff. For my purposes, um, how about this for strategy? Just name the uh, name portfolio as the only defendant, and then if it doesn't accomplish what we want it to, then we can of course um, do an amendment to the complaint. No, I wouldn't do that. I would at least uh, name the attorney that signed it. Okay. You know, now is the attorney that signed the summary judgment the same one that signed the complaint? No. There's different ones. Well, then, yeah. then you might consider, you know, hitting the one that filed the complaint, the one that uh, signed the summary judgment, because it's you show direct involvement on them, mm-hmm. and then portfolio. Okay. You know that that keeps your numbers down, but it it puts the potential dollar amount of damages back up to a a good trade-off. Mm. Bargaining chip, right? Okay. And then for settlement, would you would you agree? Would you think that half of the um, alleged statutory damages would be adequate for a settlement to do it quickly and have everything dropped? Uh, I can't really answer that. I, uh, you know, I you'd have to see what what the situation is, what the other side would uh, want to offer as far as uh, a settlement. If they if they would offer a settlement. Well, I'm hopeful that they'll double it now that the CFPB has spoken. 
Well, you don't know. I mean, yeah, you're, you can be hopeful, but I mean, you, you know, you can't read that in that that's that's going to be uh, something yeah, that does I'm happen. Being, I'm being a little facetious, but I'm hopeful that that um, consent order that just came out against portfolio is going to that could absolutely years. play a part in it. Right. Yeah, that could absolutely play a part in it. You bet. Okay, Dave, I'm going to let I'm going to let you go and and. Um, talk with someone else tonight. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. You're very welcome. He's back again, Dave. Yeah. It's, uh, you might as well just go ahead and just uh, don't, mute up the yeah. entire chat board. No, we'll, He's uh, not going to stop. Well, well, we'll deal with it. We'll do what's necessary. All right. We have somebody in North Georgia that has her hand up here. You've been muted and unmuted. Go ahead with your question. Hello, North Georgia. Talk to us. Must have stepped out to the kitchen for a bite to eat. Because we're not hearing them. I think I know who that is because I got an email this afternoon somebody that uh, said they uh, were planning on filing a complaint but wanted to come on the call and uh, inquire about a couple things and get some answers. So you know, maybe, he, uh, maybe he ran out to get a maybe, bite to eat or something. Maybe he's got his own phone muted as well as uh, the well, line. Well, I've already mentioned that uh, if, if that was That's the case. Me. Yep, there you go. Hello. Yep, Hello. go ahead. You're on. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm actually polishing up the complaint right now. My wife and I are getting all the grammatical errors and everything out of the way. And uh, I've got a question on um, the when you're when you are um, making the complaint and you're making the claim that they did not validate the debt on the first three times they sent the Dunning letter. I heard you guys state before, if they have never validated the the first Dunning letter, then they're toast from that point on. Is that correct? Well, what does the law say? See, you have to start with what does the law say. Do you understand the FDCPA? What is the requirement for validation? You have to answer within five days. No, 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 no. I'm talking about when you make a demand for validation. Uh, when I make a demand for... They, they they send you a Dunning letter. Today in the mail, you get a Dunning letter. You've got 30 days and, to answer it. And, and you, tomorrow, you mail out a demand for validation to them. Correct. What happens after that? Well, they've got to send, they got five days to to send a... Uh... No, no, you're incorrect. Okay. They have five days to send a verification letter after first contact with you. I'm talking about you get a Dunning letter today. You get a letter in the mail today that says you owe me $1,100. And you send a validation letter to them saying, I dispute this, validate this debt. And you put it in the mail t- 
tomorrow? What happens after that? What what does the law say has to happen after that? Well, under the FDCP, FDCPA, uh, FDCPA, they they've got to verify the debt. No, they no, don't. They don't. No, no, they don't. When you make a demand for validation, they can do a couple of different things. They can ignore you, and they can disappear. And you're done. Or they can send you va- uh, validation of the debt, which almost none of them can. Okay? Or they can ignore your request for validation and start calling you or send you additional letters or whatever. So how do violations occur? And under what part of the statute do they occur once you've made a demand for validation? Do you know that or not? Well, I thought they had they had uh, they got to cease from making contact with you until they no no no. Well, they have to cease collecting on the debt. Right. Until yeah, until they validate. That's what the FDCPA says. Right. So if they never validate, they have to give up on trying to collect it. It's that simple. Right. There, There's no requirement that they have to validate the debt. They can just say, ooh, we don't want to fiddle with this guy. We can't validate the debt. We're just going away. You know, this, this guy wants to fight instead of just laying over and letting us murder him. Um, that's the end of it. But if... If you make that demand for validation and they go, ah, crap, this is another one of these guys. We're not going to pay any attention to him. Um, Send them another letter. Right. Okay. Is that a violation? Yes. Because they didn't validate and they continued to collect, right? Right. Okay. And that falls under what? 1692 G. B. That's continued collection after failure to validate. But this gets into people have to understand the statute. Okay. So if they send you, let's say you made that validation demand and and they never validate. And they send you three letters. They got the complaint written like that. Uh, it, I, I can read it and I can lay it out like what you're talking about, and I understand it, but verbally. You're having a hard time describing it. Yes, I, I'm having a hard time describing There's so much to this, but it's, it's so simple once you get it down. Yeah, um, I was going to say that kind of stuff really is very simple. Yeah. Um, I, I understand it conceptually. I, when I see it, I've got the, you know, the quick reference list, I've got it down. Okay. I've got some of the complaints that you sent, and I've looked at that. And okay. 
Well, I think the bigger picture here is is the way you're trying to articulate the questions or answer answer the questions is we're we're having a problem there with you know understanding more than possibly you having a problem with your complaint. Right. I, I don't really have a problem with the complaint. I'll just if you explain something a little more um, uh, concisely, you know, I understand better now. Um, okay. One major question I have is when I called about three weeks ago, John suggested that I do two different lawsuits because they they filed uh, two lawsuits against me in the state court with different numbers, well, I mean with different complaint numbers, and but they switched it up a little bit, and he said, well, just if they did that, then file two federal lawsuits against them. And so I did that. I'm writing the second one up. I'm kind of parroting it, but I'm using the different numbers in it, so it's just going to be, you know, pretty quick and easy. Uh, the question I have is, when I file these things, how do I keep them from trying to join the two together? Well, first of all, the facts of each case, they're, they're over two completely different things. Are they – and this goes back to – uh, you're saying they filed two different lawsuits against you with a little bit different information, but it, it, is it apparent that both of them are, are regarding the same debt? That is correct. Uh, the same alleged debt. Cash bought right. the alleged debt. Yeah. They did not verify through three different law firms. Uh, they did not validate the debt. Uh, right. They sent the dining letters. I sent them a, um, a verification, not a verification, but a... Um, validation a, letter. Validation right. letter. They did not respond to three of them. Right, right. Okay. And then and then at that time, I was having pro- problems with my credit report. I had problems with, uh, with uh, uh, having problems with getting a mortgage because I had sold my house the year before and I was kind of getting out and trying to buy back in at a later time. And then they really screwed with my credit, which prevented me from getting a house for a year. Right, and I couldn't right. get overdraft protection, but I don't want to get into all that. But it, 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 it's the same lawsuit. And so what they did on the first lawsuit, they used my wife's name in part of the chain of evidence that they were using. And so they saw their mess up, and they filed a separate lawsuit with the, with the same information, but they used my name instead of my wife's name. And so it's the same credit card, it's the same but she's not the she's she is not the original She she was not card. obligated on the card. Correct. She, she maybe was a user or something, but right. not obligated. Right. Okay. Um before I would file two lawsuits, uh I believe I would file one and start the discussion of, you know what, you got another one coming over the other lawsuit you filed with your trickery. Now, do you do you want to get this settled now and avoid a second lawsuit, or do you want to fight two of them? Because I'm ready to do the second one. Because you might you might save yourself a four hundred dollar filing fee. Right. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That's double leverage. Well, uh, who's gonna who's gonna be the plaintiff in both of these lawsuits? Cash and some lawyers, right? I don't think they're gonna be plaintiffs. 
Well, no, I mean, oh, not plaintiff, yeah, defendants, yeah. Because, it's, you know, one is you and one is your wife. I don't think they can combine them. No, I don't think they sued his wife. They didn't sue your wife. They just sued no, you. Not, both she, them, right? is a, she is a non-party in the lawsuit. Right. They sued you twice. Right. right. Well, that doesn't mean that she doesn't have prerogative. Well, yeah, I, we're talking about him. Okay. Yeah, what what makes you, why are you wanting to tie his wife into this when she's not a defendant? Jeff, I, I don't understand where you're going. Well, said, said he, he, he was looking to file two of men. I can't imagine why he would file two of men on the same debt unless he was bringing his wife in as well. No, no, uh, no. You, they have two you, totally you, separate lawsuits. They're they're yeah. trying to they're trying to get me in two different ways. I think there's two angles that they're taking. The first angle is I'm, there was two cars issued, total of $10,000 alleged debt, so we could get somehow finagle to get her side of the card, uh, get it adjudicated where they could win on that. It's a win-win situation, and I'll file the other one correctly in the other court. And so I think that they're they're angling, trying to collect twice, turn a double dip. And so... Uh, well, I think I I would file the first lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously that's going to start some discussion. Yeah. And then in that that's the time for discussion, and the, you can tell them, look, you know, you filed two lawsuits here over the same debt. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. That's an unconscionable act, among other things. And... Do you want to settle this now, or do you want me to file a second lawsuit related to what you've done in your second lawsuit against me? Mm-hmm. And then you can deal with two federal lawsuits. Right. Use it. I, I would. I would look at doing that and using the first lawsuit, uh, the federal lawsuit, to provoke the uh, the uh, conversation and see about getting things settled rather than just jumping right out there and, and spending uh, the money for two lawsuits. Right. I mean, to me... Yeah, uh, I've, got to get this, I've got to get this thing filed tomorrow. The judge in the second lawsuit happens to be a judge that I beat a speeding ticket several years ago, and she's not happy with me. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, I, I well, yeah. Out. You want to see what you can do to uh, uh, put the lever on them to get them to settle before it ever gets to a conclusion or gets to a trial situation uh-huh. in the state case, right? Absolutely. Right. Well, tomorrow's the day, and I want to thank you guys for helping me do this. Sure. It's long, long in coming, and and I should have had it done a long time ago, as you stated, and Jeff's kicked my butt a couple times. Um, but it's I'm excited. Yep. Go for it. Get her out there and get her done. So um and, and you were right. Uh I went on Pacer and there is so much junk on Pacer with these pro se's. I was kind of embarrassed um when I was looking at some of the suits and stuff and some of the lawyers were making some lousy mistakes too and I'm I'm not good by any means. The bad reputation of pro se's is well earned. You can see that now. Yeah, it just 
blew my yeah. mind. Yeah, and, and to be yeah, to be honest with you, in my opinion, when you uh, when you go out and you look at cases on Pacer, I wouldn't spend much of my Pacer money looking at pro se complaints. I mean, sometimes uh, you can uh, yeah, you can learn from their mistakes, but um, you know, look to if you're trying to learn how to do things right, you know, look at the ones done by attorneys. And as you've already found out, you commented on this, and, and uh, I'll talk about this differently in a moment, but you're, you now that you've read a number of them, you can start seeing which ones are good and which ones are lousy, even done by the lawyers. Yeah. Because the more of them you, you're exposed to, you see most of them are pretty much the same. I mean, they're structured pretty much the same. A lot of the language is very, very similar and everything else. It's just the specific facts of the case are different. And tomorrow night, I'm doing a webinar on writing a complaint, basics, and I address that stuff. And I hope everybody's going to be paying attention tomorrow night because I've got some exhibits or downloads of uh, a case that was just recently dismissed. And I'm going to use that as an example to show a poorly written complaint by a lawyer. And then we're going to go over the judge's order and why it was dismissed. And then we're going to go over the amended complaint and see how the lawyer still didn't learn much from what the judge said. And then the fourth item in there, as far as the document goes, is uh, I've got a, and this is a TCPA situation, just in case everybody is interested. Uh, then I've got an example complaint of something that's done properly, and we're, and I'm going to go through that and point out to everybody what a huge difference there is between that complaint and the ones that this lawyer did that got dismissed, and even the one that he replaced it with, which was poorly written. So. Okay. Yeah, you. Uh, it, it, it isn't until you get out and study a bunch of this, just like you said. You, when you get out there and you start studying this, you and when you can start identifying the ones that are poorly written, that shows that you're making good progress because then you you understand what's poorly written and, and what's well written, and that's all part of the learning curve. You kind of that's get how I learned. Be on it, and all you know, if okay, he's got to line up perfect now, and you start getting a little carried away, but. You know, OCD sets in. So, well, go get your thing done tomorrow. That'll work. Thank you, guys. All right, you're welcome. All right. We're going to see who else. Uh, we don't have a, anybody else with their hand up in the, in the queue tonight. You know, again, for you new people, please don't hesitate to ask a question. Uh, that's how we learn. And then we got somebody from California that has their hand up. I got to mute you and unmute you. Go ahead. Hello. 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 Hold on. Hold on. I had you on speakerphone. Chat room. Yeah. You got me now. Yeah, we got you. Uh, Go ahead. All right. Cool. Hi, uh, it's Mr. Weha out of California, and. Uh, Terry, I wanted to make sure. I sent you the FTC thing about the furniture rule last night. Did you get it? She might be multitasking. Okay. (laughs) You're talking about, I can't remember the name of that document. FTC furniture 
FTC report about the furniture rule. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I want to kind of be hush-hush about it and not blow the lid off. Yeah, I had that one. Thank you. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. And I, I've been doing a little research on that as well, and I think I've got my my outline for my affidavit pretty much done to send out and uh, see how it works. So as soon as I finalize that, I'll I'll email you a copy and get your input on it. Okay. And um, let's see. I've got a. I I got snubbed out of the last on the what, Tuesday and Wednesday call last week because there were so many people. But um, my main question is, and I'll give brief background. Bank of America sent me a 1099C on a credit card back in 2013. And then in March of this year, they started reporting on it again. But I didn't catch it until about July. And they reported um, March through August, so six months. Well, after, I said, pardon me? After they 1099-seed you? After they 1099-seed me. Now, now, it gets better. So what I did was I sent a validation letter to B of A with the 1099-C, and I sent disputes to all the credit, to the three major credit bureaus. Well, they all got it because I sent it certified mail and all this other stuff. Well, Experian was where the um, it was showing a payment history of March through August of this year. Well, <laughs> really? Yeah. Classic age. Yeah. And so then what happens is uh, two or three days after they got the letter, Bank of America did, they totally blipped the account. The, the account went almost completely blank. But they reported a payment history in previous years that they had not reported before. And then what they did was they went over to Equifax and they started reporting it there. <laughs> wow, they're determined to get smacked. Yeah, and my and I, I kept I was looking up um in the in the NCLC book about um I was trying to find anything about a ten ninety nine C but all I could really find was an obsolete debt. You know, they're talking about obsolete debts past the statute of limitations and that they're time barred and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's obviously past statute of limitations since they already claimed a tax deduction on it. Right. Now, my question is this, is I can nail these guys really easy because all the proof is there. I mean, it's basic. My one question is, is that... Bank of America. Now, the original credit card account was with MBNA, and then sometime, you know, after I opened it, the Bank of America acquired MBNA. So, but I do have letters from back in 2011 and 12 that show that they sent it to a debt collector, but they never collected on it. So my question is: is how do I plead? that Bank of America, do I even have to plead that they're a debt collector? No, Bank of America uh, had the debt when it was current before it went to default. Yes. Okay, so they're considered an original creditor. Okay. 
So how? So based on the 1099C they sent me, see, that's my whole quandary is trying to because they're going to come back and say, well, we're the original creditor, but the fact remains is, well, you sent me a 1099C. Yeah, well, then, but yeah, but that's not a collection action. You've got actions against them under the FCRA, not FDCPA. Right. Uh, okay, under the FCRA, which is much juicier. Well, you can get punitive damages there, and, and it's stackable for all the months of violations. FDCPA is a thousand bucks per lawsuit per defendant. Period. Yeah, right. and 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 you don't have any violations FDCPA Fair Debt Collection. Yours is strictly uh, all related to fair credit reporting, so that falls under FCRA. Okay, so that would just be an FCRA action. Okay, right. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, so but you got a juicy one from what you told us here. Well, yeah, and then here's the other kicker is that I found a 1099C that I didn't even know I had from another credit card debt from Chase, and Chase pulled my credit four times after the 1099C. Oh, uh-oh. No. <laughs> I, and it's just me digging through my old files looking for stuff. Um, right. That I, I keep finding these things like, oh, well, look at this here. Here's another one. Uh, yep. Let's see. I had a couple other things. Oh, I wanted to bring up um, I use um, Experian Credit Monitor and Credit Karma pretty heavily. And what I recently noticed, and I don't know if anyone else has, is that both of those websites, they every time you go in and get your credit report, they archive it. Oh, yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if everyone knew that. Mm-hmm. Because then you can go back, and Credit Karma, you can compare the same two accounts side by side, the same account side by side in a window. I tried signing up for Credit Karma, and it, it, it wouldn't let me. Well, they probably never. I, try, I tried three different times, and I was they, never able to get signed up with them. I have no idea what their problem was. but Well, they know who you are. <laughs> uh, no, that's funny. That yeah. is funny. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're not getting, we're not letting that guy into the database. Oh man! Yeah, your reputation precedes you, my friend. And then Terry, you mean I've got a rep? <laughs> oh well, Dave, I read your uh, your vexatious litigant paper that uh, that's on the website about that that whatever that attorney was and. Yeah. Basically, you just slammed him to the carpet. Her. Yeah, her. Oh, it was her. Okay. Well, yeah, that was Miss Witch. Yeah, if you Google your name or Dallas debt discussion, it's like a cavalcade of information about you. <laughs> it's general information, nothing specific. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a lot about me out on the web if you start digging. Oh, yeah. You know, if you, if you do uh, my name and middle and credit management and the same thing, <laughs> you're really, really going to get a bunch. Uh, I mean, there's there's all sorts of stuff out there, but uh, yeah, I I guess I've got a rep. Yeah, <laughs> what can I say? Just like kind of like Jesse does. Yeah, well, Jesse's a lot more anonymous than I am. You know, I'm out there. Yeah, and Jesse prefers to have his stuff that way. Um, I don't care. You know, it's like, you know, there's going to be a lot of people before this deal with Midland's done. There's going to be an awful lot of people in this country that are going to know my name in relation to Midland Credit Management. Uh, Believe me. I suspect that to be true. Yeah, they're going to take big news The big news agencies are going to uh, do an interview with you. Uh, 
Probably not. <laughs> uh, the only thing I'll say is mm, that might be a distinct possibility. Uh, okay. Not real distant future. Another <laughs> 60 minutes episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got a hot one for you, 60 Minutes. How would you like to know exactly how they're doing it to escape liability on literally millions of disputes from consumers every day? Yeah, and that's what you're going to bring up in November, hopefully, is that uh, discuss, that topic we discussed. Uh, yeah, I want to I, I wanna have a discussion with Jesse because I'm kind of thinking – that I've discovered so much more, and now I know so much more than I did two weeks ago, that um, it's really too much to put in an afternoon webinar, and I'm thinking that maybe uh, a short series on the Tuesday night calls to finish out the year might do it. Yeah, it's a pretty weird... I've only... I'm in the middle of like another case and I'm writing an appeal so I've limited time to do it but I I do it at night right before I go to bed on my iPad and the stuff I found is <laughs> it's it's pretty damning when you <laughs> and when you, you what I found so <laughs> yeah I didn't even go that deep I only went like 3 or 4 pages deep into a Google search off of one like search criteria so what I found is as I said before I'm just going to write an affidavit file it into public record send them a certified copy and say, you know, you've got 30 days to answer this. Yeah. And, if you, and if you don't, I'm going to give them another chance. I'm going to give them a notice of fault and an opportunity to cure. Uh, don't, don't do that. Don't even don't do that? Into, don't get no. into doing that. Okay. No. I'll just leave it alone at 30 days then. Yeah, just put that out there, but don't get into this notice of fault and opportunity to cure stuff. That's, okay. The, the courts look at any of that kind of stuff, and they're going to go, oh, this guy's one of those. Those. Yeah. You don't even want them looking at you through that lens because it usually will not be a friendly lens. Ah. Uh. Yep. Stay strictly with the statutory stuff. That's that's getting over into the Patriot stuff, putting that right. stuff out there. And that will do you far more harm than it will ever do you good. One of the reasons why I have the success that I have in the courts is simply because I don't get into any of that stuff. I know the rules. I follow the rules. I make the proper arguments, and I back it up with case law. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm just starting. literally that's simple. Yeah, I'm. I got sucked into that patriot nonsense, and luckily I didn't do any of the the administrative uh, process. Yeah, A four V, and you know, you know, signing your name to the bottom of a, you know, whatever it is. I think someone brought that up a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and, um, I, and but the I utility bill and that stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, and I looked at a all. lot of that. I looked at. Oh, I, I looked, looked at, at all it. of it too. Oh, believe me, I I was uh, involved to a degree until I figured out what that uh, it wasn't going to work, and I dropped that like a hot potato, and I stayed away from it. And I I will tell everybody. I've said this before, and I'm going to tell everybody again. Jesse is the one that really helped me fully understand why none of those processes that sound so good. And, you know, everybody points to, well, it says that right here in, in these books and all this. 
the reason it doesn't work is a very simple explanation. It's against public policy. And if you don't understand what public policy is, then you're not going to understand why it's not going to work and why it doesn't work. It should work, absolutely, except public policy overrides it. And that's just the way it is because they've got the guns and they've got the jails. Yeah, that's true. And make no mistake, you and I are not going to change that. No. Dave, where did you get your blue book for case citations? Do you remember? Oh, I, I, I get, I've got all sorts of uh, sources, NCLC books. No, I mean, for, for it's called the blue book for case citations. I, th- I, I remember you mentioned that. No, I don't have a blue book for case citations. I... I get, uh, I, I've got citations that come from, I've got a, a blue binder here um, preparing for trial in federal court. Uh, okay. Cost me a hundred and some dollars, and it covers everything all the way through appeal and everything on that in, in minute detail. And it's got all sorts of case law in it. And then uh, there's O'Connor's Federal Rules. That no, covers a multitude of things. That's got a ton of case law. NCLC books, you've got a ton of case law in, in those things. Those things, oh, my God, they, they'll make you blind reading the case law in them. There's so much in there. Of course, it's a small font, but um, there's a ton of it. So uh, there's lots of sources. And I'll tell you what, one of the other good sources of case law is, and I've, I've mentioned this before, and it bears mentioning again, it bears mentioning often, is Go read these recommendations, report and recommendations of magistrate judges in cases. Oh, yeah. Sure. Does it take you time going out and pacer and finding these things when they're issued? Yeah. But, man, you can get some fabulous case law out of those because who's the one that's putting it out there? It's the court. How can you argue with it? Yeah. And in those things, and as I've also said before, something to pay attention to is don't necessarily just look at the winning cases, look at the losing cases, because a lot of times you can learn just as much or more from somebody losing a case by the what's in the magistrate's report and recommendation because they cite all the case law as to why the individual lost. No, I found a um, one of the cases that the banks love to use in California is a, a case called Fontenot v. Wells. They use it a lot. They love it. And after going through it multiple times and then reading some other um, some law blogs about that case particularly, I found two really good gems in there to use. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like then and all the you know. The foreclosure defense attorneys, oh, it's a terrible decision, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, if you read it and you find those two little gems, then, you know. It's you not can as use... terrible as you think. Yeah, because you can turn it around and use it against them as long as you say, plead well, properly. That's because those lawyers, they don't go read those cases. They just keep copying and pasting the same head notes other attorneys used. And if it didn't work for the other attorneys, they don't use it. Yeah. Yeah, see, they don't take the time to research things. They have a law practice 
to run, uh, they they just don't have the time to do what we do. Very frankly, you know, they're they're juggling thirty, forty, fifty cases a piece to make a living, they make would their fat money, pay. and and they just can't do the research. They hand stuff off to paralegals and stuff like that. They just don't learn the stuff like we do. Right, and that's and a huge advantage pay. we have. They'd have to pay a full-time researcher to do nothing but that to accomplish what we do, and that would be quite expensive. Yeah. Well, a funny story is um, I'm back in uh, settlement with three defendants on my foreclosure case in California, and I was talking to the attorney uh, two weeks, two or three weeks ago uh, stipulating to like a stay for discovery and all this stuff because the stuff I sent him, when I sent it, I'm like, they don't want to answer this. And she was like, well, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, um, you know, well, we don't have to provide that document. And I said, well, you do. And she said, well, why do you think that? And I said, well, it says so in the deed of trust. And the deed of trust is a contract, blah, blah, blah. And there was this big pregnant pause at the end. And I, I kind of went, hello, hello. And she was like, it's in the deed of trust? And I said, yeah. And there was another <laughs> pause. And I said, have you read the deed of trust concerning my case? It was in judicial notice. It's like the main document. No. And I said, have you ever read a deed of trust? No. And I said, well, I suggest you do. Yeah, really. <laughs> because it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you in the end. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Oh, no, and uh, Jeff told me to start writing it down, and I'm about three-quarters of the way through it. And because I'm writing it, it tends to imprint in my head better. Uh-huh. And, like, I know that thing backwards and forwards now. And I know all the little, okay, well, you know, this covenant, you got to go back to this covenant, and this covenant references that one. And it runs in a circle. And they can't get out of the – if you have the case law, which took some time to find in the California court system – but now that I've got it, it's like you're, you can't get out of this. You can't enforce this document and then not be bound by it because it yeah. says right there you're bound by it. Uh-huh. So how are you going to get out of it providing me these documents? Well, you you made a good point. Jeff, Jeff's got a very good point. You know, you write these documents out. Read it and write it out because not only are you going to retain the knowledge, you have a better understanding and retain it because you go through that exercise. But you're going to learn things and you're going to notice things in there that you never knew before. You know, that that is so true of what he just said. Because I don't have the full Acrobat suite of software, I most of the time cannot copy and paste out of a PDF. But I don't really care because I can type faster than I can talk anyway and so I'm in the habit of instead of cutting and pasting things typing them instead and just the exercise of doing that causes it to imprint more on my mind than if I just read it cut it and paste it right right exactly well, the, it's similar the other, the other side of that coin is is that even if you've read the document 10 or 15 times you sit down and copy it word for word, you'll see things you never saw. Absolutely. It happens to me a lot of times. Well, initially what I did before Jeff was saying to to write it out, I had it in a PDF 
the county clerk was kind enough to send me a PDF of it, and I would do the control uh, control F, which is search, and I would look for combinations of words. Like you can type in like uh, deed of trust, and it'll pop, and it'll just scroll down. You hit next, 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 and it'll just show you where every time it says deed of trust. Uh-huh. Or you can do security instrument or uh, lender or beneficiary. And then you can write this stuff down. And as you write it down, as I said, like I have a status conference on Thursday, but I know all this stuff like the, in, the, in the back of my head. So it's like I don't even really need – I do take notes with me just in case. But like I know where all that st- – like, okay, MERS is listed as the beneficiary three times. It's listed as nominee twice. It's listed as nominee and beneficiary once. And that's all within the first three pages. But nowhere else is it listed in the rest of the document. And then I can cro- you know, and I can go back and forth between the covenants and reference all this stuff in a way that the judge will get. Instead of, you know, I mean, the, some of the stuff I read that that's coming out of California courts, I thought, my God, if someone would just pay attention to the deed of trust, this would all be over. And isn't that what Jesse's been trying to tell everybody for how long? Yes, and I want. This is another thing I want to bring up. Um, anyone who is in California <clears throat> who is dealing with foreclosure needs to look up the I- Ivanova case. It's pending in the California Supreme Court, and there are three other cases that are awaiting that judgment that are also in the Supreme Court. And the there's the opening brief by Antognini, there's his reply, and then there's an amicus brief by Mark Didak, and there's an attorney general amicus brief by Kamala Harris. And that those four documents have so much good case law, old case law that's never been overturned, that they can't get around. And it all Wait. pertains to the deed of trust. Would you repeat the name of that case and spell that name, please? It's Y-V-A-N-O-V-A. It's, it's a Rus- I think it's Russian or it's Slavic. It's Set- Setvana Ivanova. And it's before the California Supreme Court right now. Tons of good case law. I mean, really good case law. And yeah. there- on behalf of all of our members in California, that's very good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure other people have seen it, and there's a there's just a, this is stuff I've found over the last week. Um, I talked a little while ago about some weird report. Like my former default alleged servicer was Green Tree, and now it's turned into Ditech. And I know Double Wide, I think, is dealing with them right now, but they were trying to reage. They were trying to say that I paid them this year, and when I challenged them on it, they immediately took it off. But then what I found was that, and I found this on Stop Foreclosure Fraud. Uh, it's out of some, there's some guy in South Florida. Fannie Mae just put out a new time limit for uh, foreclosures for all 50 states for loans they allegedly own. And I did a little digging <clears throat> And what I found out is is that when the servicer goes over the um, 
specified time frame for whatever state you're in, the servicer has to pay them a compensatory fee for not completing it on time. You mean the foreclosure? Yeah. The, the servicer that's performing the foreclosure has to, if they don't complete it within the time frame, that fa- and I think in California it's 530 days or something like that. And that's from <clears throat> the last payment that was made. Okay, yeah. And you can find that document. It's Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. It's on, it should be on uh, Stop Foreclosure Fraud. You, you may have to scroll down. It may be a third of the yeah, way down the I page. That, yeah, stopforeclosurefraud.org, isn't it? Uh, I think it's .com. It's, it's Damien Figueroa in South Florida. He, he's yeah, always if you Google it, you can find it real easy. Yeah. yeah, but you can get that chart. And then after some more digging around, I found that, oh, now the mortgage servicers are having to pay Fannie for not foreclosing in a timely fashion. Isn't that interesting? And and what's funny is I disputed, um, you know, I disputed the alleged debt, and then one day, I mean, this changed in one day. One day they're saying I owe X amount of dollars to them, which they've never validated. And then the very next day, it was a thousand dollars higher. Well, you know that interest adds up when you got a big house. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a big house, but but it's like in one day it jumped by a thousand dollars. It's like, oh yeah, okay, I'll, I'll guess I'll validate, I'll send a validation letter for that now. But but yeah, that was just an interesting thing. And if you look if you look at your credit reports and they're re trying to reage, and you're a Fannie Mae person, that may be the reason why. Uh huh. Is they're trying to say, oh no, look, the last payment was here. It was just like, oh, look, he paid us on this day. Right, trying and, to get themselves out of hot water. Right, and also, it, you know, in the future, if they say, oh, well, look, it says on your credit report you, uh, you know, you paid us on June 24th. Well, I didn't pay you on June 24th. Well, then why didn't you contest it on your credit report? Which goes back to always dispute with the credit reporting agency, as always. Right, right, right. And... um Oh, one more thing, Terry. I got a bunch of letters <laughs> I disputed, and, all, and and they sent me back this one-page letter describing the reinvestigation process, and it's extremely vague, so I know it's BS. Who, who sent you the letter, the furnisher or the CRA? The CRA. Uh, oh. I got one from TransUnion, and I got one from Equifax. And Go ahead. The lang- and the language is pretty much the same, and they make some it's there's some vague language in there like you know often we will send information to the the furnisher and it's like wait a minute it's not supposed to be often it's always it's always you know, yeah you always have to send that back to the to the furnisher you're exactly. required by law to do that dippy yeah. yeah and it's like well right there you're you're lying to me you know the fir- the second sentence in the letter you're lying to me and i know it well um, i'm not- Okay, which email is yours again? Um, you know what? I'll I'll fire you something real quick. Yeah, I'm going to send you a copy of the letter I'm sending to the CFPB tomorrow. Okay. And I've I've sent it to Dave and Jeff for a final look and and edit. So you know, a couple of things might change here and there, but then you're going to understand what I understand. And then you're going to be looking at those letters with whole different eyes. 
Okay, the uh, the subject is I am talking to you. Uh, you sent it already? No, I'm doing it right now. Oh, okay. Okay, I just sent it. Um, I'm trying, yeah, to, go down. I'm trying I mean, to go down everything to make sure I've covered everything. So they're saying, okay, first of all, back up a little bit. You asked for a specific description of the reinvestigation process they used in regard to your dispute, correct? Yes, I did it exactly as you said, as you've explained in using the exact language. I bolded it, I <laughs> underlined it, and I italicized it to so make sure it was like, here you go, I'm showing you right now. So instead they send you a letter saying, well, you know, sometimes we do this and we might do that, and generally we do this. And it uh, just depends on what mood we're in on any given day. Yeah, yeah that's an answer. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a joke. I mean, I got one from Experian and I got one from TransUnion, and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. When you read what I'm sending you right this second, you're going to get it. Okay. And then, uh, oh, here's another doozy. I get, <laughs> I send out all these disputes, and I mean, they probably hate me by now. But You're not running a popularity contest, are you? No, I'm not. I don't care. Oh, at, at this I point, I guess, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I don't even care anymore. It's a joke. <laughs> and But they, they send me back a letter that has the credit report, and they said, here is, an, here is your credit file. And it's like, this is not my credit file. This is a credit report. So what I want to know is, here's what I'm going to do before I ask my question, is I'm going to redispute it, and I'm going to do it again in a bigger font saying, I want my credit file. And that will be the fourth time I've asked them. Well, the law says they've got to give it to you, every single item in it. Well, let me ask you this. How do I know what it is when I see it? It will be different in your credit report. Right. Okay. It has to be. Have you ever okay. have you ever accidentally on purpose seen the credit report that say the banks get when you apply for a checking account or the car dealers get when you're applying for a loan? No. Okay. It's totally it's, different than what you get. Okay. That's what they get is the file. Okay, what you'll see is plain white paper without without other cute little pictures and logos and sections and, you know, color coding this and that. And you, you know what your standard credit report looks like. They dress yeah. it, make it. It won't look like that. It, it will be tables and boxes and text on plain white paper. Okay. What I, what, what I may do, too, is I may just go go all out and just call them and say, look, I've asked you three times for this. You're not sending it to me. I need it now, or the next thing you get from me is going to be a lawsuit, kind of like you said in one of the previous webinars. I wouldn't oh. call them. I'd do everything in writing. Do it in writing. One last time. I'm making one final effort to make a request. Okay, because no one's ever given me anything. Yeah. I'm oh. making my, my final request before I resort to litigation. Well, hell, half the time, they won't even give you a whole credit report in response to that. They'll give you just the pages that reflect right. 
whatever changes uh, happened because of your dispute, and they think that's going to suffice. Oh, no, I got that, too. <laughs> I got that Friday. Usually that's all I get. Yeah, that, I got, well, I, a couple today I got a, a whole new credit report, but on Friday I got, like, um, oh, here's the updated page showing, the, and it says information below. And I look at it, and I'm like, okay, what's the new information? Because it looks exactly the same. Well, because it is. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> you're you're not telling me anything. You know, you're just you're just giving me silliness. Um, but yeah. Oh, and then one other thing, and then I will totally shut up. Uh, last week, I think Double Wide called in uh, at the very end of I think Terry. I think it was your call, but I'm not sure. And he okay. was talking about rescission. I think and, it was call at the end of my call. Yeah. Wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, I'm thinking it was. And I, I, I've done a lot of research about rescission, and it's a, it's really sticky because the banks are going to fight you like, like nothing on it. And what, and if it was past the three-year statute of limit, you know, there's an extended period for rescission if they don't give you the initial disclosures. Anything past three years, they're going to fight you, and they're going to use Beach v. Aquin, which is a uh, U.S. Supreme Court case. Um, so if you're going to, if you have rescinded, or you you want to rescind, do your research and then read that Beach v. Aquin, and within that within that bad decision, which you know the banks love, there's a there's a loophole, and it's a very big one that hat that that according to TILA, only one party can contest it. And if you're lucky, that party in your case will have gone out of business. The original lender? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, Beach v. Aquin, the lender actually filed suit to contest the rescission. But... That I mean, that's still kind of. I know that's Neil Garfield's big thing, and he's got people slinging mud at each other all over the place on his website. I read it more for fun, more than anything else, um, just because everybody's got their own silly opinion about it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that was uh, the gist of my info and questions. And Terry, I think I just got your email. Oh yeah, here we go. And I think that's it for me. Well, thank you very much for all the information. That's, yeah, that's uh, great. I, Sounds like I, you're having a great time out there. Yeah, I uh, I do have – I don't know how many people are insane enough to file in California State Court. I, now I realize the insanity of it. But um, if anybody wants, uh, they can send their email to Terry, and Terry's got my email now, I think. And uh, Mr. Weha is the, uh, my phone name. And if she wants to – I've – compiled a bunch of really good case law uh, about assignments and substitution of trustees and void documents and all that kind of stuff. And this has been over about three years I've been compiling all this stuff, and I keep finding more and more good stuff. And recently I found some really good case law about agency, which I know is one of Jesse's things about uh, contesting their right to not only enforce or collect the debt, but the right to report on it. Uh-huh. And I found really awesome case law, uh, actually just last week, uh, a couple of California Supreme Court cases that 
basically bind all the judges in California about agency. So good. If anybody wants that, um, send Terry your email, and she can forward it to me, and I'll make up a list and fire it out. Yeah. Well, I need that kind of stuff that you've got available if you wanted to post that stuff in the pleading section of the uh, forum oh, that's on right. the website. I too. should do that. Yeah, under California. Absolutely. Thank yep. you so much for all resource. your tireless diligence and work. Well, well and the willingness to share the you know the fruits of your labors with others. That's, well, I just I there I don't know how many people are in California fighting this. I know that there's a lot going on in the courts right now, but yeah. as far as members go, um, I we know have plenty of people in California. Yeah, I know there's one lady that I I correspond with over the forum, who's having kind of a hard time, and I just tell her you know calm down, and I keep telling her read the deed of trust. Write it down, read it, understand it, and then compare that to all the documents that they filed. And you will see, I mean, the the deed of trust used by itself, which they're not going to dispute because they want to enforce it. If you can find the places in that deed of trust that are easy to find and then compare it to the documents they filed into public record, and then you have the case law to back up the argument about the deed of trust, you can shoot every document they have down. There you go. It's a matter of just putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah, because every document that they file is referenced in the deed of trust. And they, they're going to come and say, oh, the civil codes, or the civil procedure, oh, we can do this. No, 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 no. See, the deed of trust is the controlling document. It's a contract. And you can't change the language or impair the obligation of that contract. So yeah, this is You have is to it. operate within that. Yeah, you have to operate within this document. Right. And, in my, well, in my case, every document that they've ever filed is woefully deficient. I mean, it has nothing to do with the deed of trust. Well, smoke and, and mirrors. Yeah, and, it's, and now that I have the case law, which a lot of it came out of that Ivanova case, all the amicus briefs that were filed and the opening brief and the reply, once you've got that down, then you've got the, the ultimate argument against them. Yeah, things like the amicus briefs, uh, amicus briefs and uh, from the various places, uh, you know, it, let's face it, these people that uh, are able to do that have got some very good attorneys on staff that can do a lot of really good research, and you can get fabulous case law. Just like I was saying before, a lot of some of the best case law I've found through the years has been in reports and recommendations from magistrate judges and cases just out on PACER. Yeah, and the, and the CFPB has great amicus briefs. Right. They're, they're, yeah, they can they're, afford to pay good lawyers to do a lot of research, can't they? Oh, yeah. And and it's great research, and I, I always check it. But if it comes out of CFPB and it's going into federal court, I can you can pretty much be sure it's right uh-huh. because of what what's riding on it. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. We're gonna yeah. we got one more person in the queue here, and we're getting uh, closer to wrap up time for tonight. So uh, cool. thanks again for all the information and sharing and. Uh, uh, for those of you that are looking for the information that uh, he's been talking about, uh, take a look in the forum in the California section. 
under uh, in the pleading section of the forum, and uh, hopefully you'll have the stuff there. Yep. See you guys tomorrow night. Bye. All right. Take care. All right. Let's go to Oregon. You have been unmuted. Hi. Hi, Dave. Hi, Terry. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. How are you? Just fine. Hey, I wanted to pick your brain on mediation. Um, let's see. All my documents are due in this Friday, so I've decided to go ahead and um, go ahead with that. Um, my thought being, you know, go try for mediation, see if we can get to a point where we're comfortable with. If not, be prepared with my um, petition to file right after and come out and just tell them, like, if we can't come to this agreement, then I'm filing, you know, the day we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you want to lay out on the table for them? Is that a good strategy? I don't see any problem with that. Yeah, You're just okay. being honest, aren't you? Just, right, yeah. Okay, just have it all ready to go and filed. file it in the next day. Sure. Okay. Now, my other question is filing. I'm not quite sure which court to file into. I, I hear Jesse always say you want to get into the federal courts. Is yeah. that something you just go yeah. with right away, or do you move up to that level? No, 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 you can't move up. The only okay. person that can move a case is a defendant, and they have to do it uh, within, uh, I believe it's 21 days of being served. No, you, you want to file in federal. Your state courts mm-hmm. are, forget it. Okay, just head right to the feds. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, now you know how to figure out which federal court you need well, to file in, right? I do not, but I will be figuring that well, out now. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. you're, you're, you're in Oregon, right? I am in Oregon, yes. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to do something right while you're on the uh, the uh, call here. I am going to pace her and, because I'm not familiar, because I, I don't look at that uh, all the time, I'm going to look up Oregon and Oregon there's only one one district that covers the whole state oh, okay so you got uh, Oregon all right now uh, I'm going to go to Google I want to find out whether you have any uh, divisions okay uh, US district court Oh, she's got to have, you know, she could be near Medford, she could be near Portland, there's got to be divisions. Well, uh, okay, United States District Court for the District of Oregon. Now, gee, am I using Google? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'll I'll bring up their their website here and see what it tells me. Do they have uh, various... Uh, things like a court info filing, local rules. Oh, look at oh. that. Representing yourself. Information about representing yourself, applying to each file in your case, pro bono program, forms for self-represented parties, research tools. Yeah. Okay. So you can look right in here. And uh, the district covers the state of Oregon with courthouses in Portland, Eugene, Medford, and Pendleton. Court handles handles an average annual civil caseload of 2,400 pending civil cases and criminal case on average about 1,100. Okay, so you got that right there 
And if you've got any questions about, you know, you can read on their website. If you've got any questions about it, you can just uh, call the clerks because the information will be right there. Great. And so website, what website are you on? U.S. District Court, District of Oregon. Okay. All you got to do is just Google U.S. District Court for Oregon. U.S. District and it'll Court pop for right up, and you click on that, and uh, I mean, it's extremely right easy there. to find it. Nice. You do the reading, and if it doesn't answer your questions on exactly, you know, how you have to caption things, if you got questions, call call, call the, the uh the court. Absolutely, you can just choose choose the division court nearest to you. Okay, great. Yeah, and All again, right. uh, here, it, it, one of the categories up here is representing yourself. Okay, information about representing yourself. Well, I'm clicking on that link, and let's see what pops up. for Information on e-filing and stuff like that. Petition and complaint forms, prisoner civil rights. Petition and complaint forms, other. Okay, filing and service. Okay. For information on registering for CMECF, see uh, case initiation and management summons. You know, applying for pro bono representation. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff there. So okay, go to Very your good. court website and read. Excellent. I appreciate that. Sure. All right. All right. All right. Go get them. Have fun. Up. All right. Yeah. You bet. Thanks. <laughs> all right. You see, guys, it's just so easy to find this stuff. I mean, uh, Google, you can even learn how to fix flat-screen computer monitors by Googling it. I mean, who would have thought? It's, well, uh, you know, Dave, I replaced the monitor on my daughter's laptop. Yeah. The screen. Yeah. cost me $60 for the screen. They wanted 200 plus to, to replace it. Yeah, and and your voice is choppy again tonight, Jeff. Just oh, so I'm you sorry. know. Well, no, I'm I'm one to let you know because this is on TalkShoe instead of free conferencing. So that okay. is an indication it might be something with your service there. Good old Verizon. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, yeah. Need to tell Verizon that they can't hear me now all the time, and you need to fix whatever it is that's wrong with your system that I'm trying yeah. to talk on. But I, I, wanted, I noticed that, and I wanted to mention it to you because uh, obviously this is a different system, so it's it's got to ha have something to do with either your home uh, phone set there or your uh, VOIP. Okay. Thank you. So, you're welcome. All right. Uh, I'm going to see if anybody else has a quick question here. We're uh, close to the uh, end of our time for tonight. If anybody has got a question or a comment here real quick, jump up with star eight. Otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up for tonight. And uh, I know as we get into fall now, we're going to start having more participation on the calls. Uh, the end of summer, we uh, we have fewer people on, which is understandable because people actually have a life. Uh, I don't, but most people do. Oh, so, we all know everybody's out for Christmas shopping money. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Well, you know, Christmas shopping money can come from the debt collectors if you'll just yeah. pay attention. <clears throat> like I do. All right. Now, we talk about Jesse's website all the time. And uh, to get to Jesse's website, it's very simple. Just open a browser, type in knockoutcollectors.net, and that's T-O-R-S on collectors, T-O-R-S.net, 
and uh, that'll take you right to Jesse's site. It's uh, $99 to be a member with access to everything for the first month. After that, it's $49 a month. You can share memberships, a couple people, so it actually can get you down to about 25 bucks a month. So just about anybody out there can afford it. But the best part is there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. If you've thought about it and you haven't gotten in there yet, well, you know, I'm not really sure. Geez, you know, money's really tight. Well, if you learn what's in the website, you can make money a little far more than pay for the membership to the website. But the bottom line is you can do that. You can check it out, and it, uh, there's no risk to you because it's a 60-day money-back guarantee. The decision is yours. That's where we learn from. That's what we contribute to. And I'm going to be contributing a webinar tomorrow night. And, uh, of course, that's for all the members. Uh, if you're not a member and you want to uh, be available uh, or be able to uh, participate in the webinars, uh, you need to get your membership taken care of, get in there. Every webinar that's been done since day one is archived. So there's four and a half years worth of webinars and information, in fact, going on five years of information. So the, the bottom line is if you don't do it, well, I don't know what to tell you. Don't expect results if you don't get the information that you need. But uh, that's tomorrow night. And, uh, of course, on Wednesday there's a webinar for members in the afternoon at 3 o'clock Eastern. And Wednesday night, of course, is Terry's call. And if you are not on Terry's mailing list for some odd reason, send an email right away to queensongbird at gmail.com. Simply say, please put me on the list, and that's all you got to do. You can even put that in the subject line. You should get it. Don't wait. Do it now. So with all of that said, uh, thanks to uh, Jeff and Terry for joining me tonight. John is uh, uh, actually out of the country, and uh, he is uh, on a trip with his wife, and he will be back, uh, I think, week after next. But uh, bottom line is we're here to help you, but you have to help yourself. You're the one that has to put in the time and the effort to study. If you don't do it, don't expect to uh, learn anything and don't expect to prosper like many of us have that have taken a fairly substantial amount of money doing nothing more than standing up for our rights. That's all it is, standing up for our rights learning how to use the courts to do it properly instead of the nonsense. With all that said, thanks again to everybody. Have a great evening. And uh, for those of you that uh, join us on the webinar tomorrow night, I'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.